Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's the Jesus and Paula Show, starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Tune in as we learn the mind of Christ and thoughts of God. Well, good evening and welcome to this week's broadcast of the Jesus and Paula Show, starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, studio audience. Welcome the Saints Online. Let the peoples know we are live. You could tell we hit some hot buttons last week. YouTube snatched down last week's broadcast. I tell you, I said, oh, we hit it. That's all right. We have our own website. We can put this stuff up anywhere we want to. And that is where it shall be soon and very soon. We will put it up. We will not be silenced. We will not be censored or deleted. Anyway, moving on. Welcome to the Jesus and Paula show. (laughs) Exactly. No, you didn't miss it. It was snatched. This week, however, is the week before the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. Yay! This time next week. This time next week will be in full-blown TPTI mode. Pray for us. We're counting down, getting the property together. You know, I feel like when you have a conference or an event, it's like when there's a major holiday that's going to be hosted at your house, you do have to do that extra cleaning because company's coming over. The whole family, the whole family that's going to sit there and look at every crack and every crevice and things that even you didn't see and let you know, I saw you were too busy to dust that counter, huh? You guys must be really busy because I see that this this floor had a little spot on it. Uh huh. Right. And so we are, you know, doing the company's coming readiness. And we're excited about it. So thrilled uh, to have you all, those who are coming to Tulsa. Most of the people, actually many of the people who come are from out of town for our event. And of course it promises to be in a category all by itself. Yes, fire, fire, fire. Elder Aaron said fire, fire, fire. Speaking of next week, let's pull up that promo for the luncheon. So you understand if you are a commissioned apostle, an ordained prophet, or an established thought leader in your community, then you are welcome to register for the prophetic luncheon Friday at noon, next Friday at noon. You do not have to attend the entire event to register, which is why it is a separate registration, but you do need to qualify in one of those areas. (coughs) It is not enough that you know a lot of people in the community. I'm going to sip my water on that. Mm -hmm. it's not enough that you know 
a lot of people in the community that you rub shoulders and that you shake hands. Thought leader in the community means that people are actually following your thoughts. Just so we're clear. Because you have a lot of mixers, a lot of shakers, a lot of movers, a lot of uh, people who are show up a lot of places where powerful people are, where leaders, leaders are, but you yourself are not a leader. This is for people in a leadership position who have people following them. Why is that important? Because the instructions that are coming down are for leaders, not people who will one day be one, not ones who are always around. And in the midst, okay? But those who have a following that can take this information, disseminate it to their following with their marching orders. In the body of Christ, we do have this whole, we should all be included aspect of how we believe. Many times, we think that if we're moving with leaders, if we're sitting at the table with leaders, that we are, in fact, an established leader in the community. And that may or may not be the case. I've had people email me. I'm this person, but so on and so forth. Do I qualify? Yes. Do I qualify? No. Do I qualify? Yes, yes, yes. And so this is not about some sort of, you know, title tripping thing. Whenever doctors have conferences, it's for doctors. When there's a medical conference, it's for medical people. You have to prove your medical credentials to register and get in the door. When you have law, legal people, come on. When uh, we've had sometimes in Tulsa, we have the huge old Pentecostal summer, whatever, come through. This is for Pentecostals. Now, I think you're allowed in the door if you're not Pentecostal, but it is specifically for people of that denomination. It is geared toward that. And so what we're doing is not different from any other profession that is seeking to gather the leaders of that profession together. That's what we're doing. This is not about exclusivity. There's a whole rest of the conference for anybody else who wants to come. Get wisdom, get training, and with all thy understanding, okay, get it. That There's a whole rest of the conference. We have church on Sunday, Wednesday, online school, Price University, which you still actually have to qualify to register for. But still, you get the point. The point is there are plenty of opportunities for everybody to join. But this is not a a roundtable. You know, Jesus had dinner and lunch and breakfast and whatever with the population. Don't we brag about that? Well, he ate with the sinners. and You know what? We all eat with sinners. When we go out to eat, we all eat with sinners. All right. Your server can come up living. Who knows what kind of lifestyle? Do we really care beyond the state of their soul? No. We all eat with sinners. We get gas with sinners. We go to the doctor with sinners. Okay. So that's really not like a badge of honor kind of thing of your doctor could be the biggest sinner. Can you get me through this surgery? And will I come out alive? All right. So (laughs) that is all. That is all. So Jesus, yes, he will, you know, he did absolutely. But when it came time for those up close and personal teachings, for those who were going to keep this thing going when he was gone, that was in the back room. And after the crowds left, his disciples said, Rabbi, what in the world did you just say? Basically. (laughs) I mean, it's basically like, what did you just say? So please. Please do not get on some high horse of error 
about what this is and is not about. There's absolute biblical precedence for this. In scripture, Joshua moved in with Moses, who lived outside of the camp, went in and didn't come out until it was time to do his job. So there's all through scripture how God deals with the general public. And then when it's time to meet with those who have been deputized and authorized and are established to implement, to make change, not just to be inspired, not just to post online, not just to get all hype in the prayer closet, but who have a mandate and a project as she has taught us, not just a prophecy. Oh, come on. Assistant chief is in the room. Not just a prophecy, but a project going on. That's who needs to be in the meeting. Those who have a project from God, not, not a word. I think my mantle's running hot tonight. I think my mantle's running hot. We're just getting started. Not those who just have a word from God. Not those who just have a calling. We all have a calling from God. Those who have been called and even chosen. But those who have a seat to do something about the information that they are receiving. That is who will be in that meeting. And not a seat. Now listen, I'm about to hurt somebody's feelings. That's okay. Not a seat that you started with your company of one. Well, I have my own business. That's great. Anybody, I can, you can go right before this broadcast is over and start a business, file with the government and do everything and still be doing absolutely nothing more than you did before this broadcast. So it's not about what's on paper alone. It is about who is following you, who you are over, whom you are influencing. What reputation do you have? What connections? There are people we know. We can pick up the phone. We were just in a meeting this week with a high official and somebody else who is not in politics picked up the phone, sent out notifications. This high official needs these types of people at this event at this time. Sorry for the late notice. And you know what? People drove up the highway and showed up to get a thing done. See, that's when you have not just posting on social media, hey, I was wondering if anybody knows. No, that's not the following we're talking about. Because plenty of people have social media followings going nowhere for God. Talking and saying nothing. So this luncheon are for the decision makers, the vivas. Those who can give God a seat at the table, not the meet and greet table, the table of decision, the situation room, the war room. See, I have to classify and clarify this because in the body of Christ, we're used to all being included because of anointing all being included because of prayer, all being included because of I've been with you and I support you. But there comes a time, like I said, with Jesus and his disciples, whenever he, he visited that upper room with the chosen in the upper room and then proceeded to pour out on all flesh everywhere else. And so we have to give the marching orders to those who are going to see to it that this is established and maintained before we just throw the blanket anointing out on everybody else. So I know it's great. I'm, I mean, we all want to know what's going on in the, behind the door. Well, what's going on in the room? Well, how come? You know, listen, if you're coming to the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, your brain will already be full of information that it's trying to process. You're going to be all right. 
you will be okay. But if you cannot attend, even if you cannot attend, come on, Tina, you know it's true. If you <laughs> if you cannot attend the whole event, you can still attend the luncheon. So we're inviting people from the Tulsa area, those who may or may not be at the whole thing, to come and get this wisdom, get this counsel. It is a luncheon, and it's slid right in the event. So it's not all day. It's like 90 minutes, maybe two hours, and then we return to our previously scheduled program. That's what we're going to do. But the luncheon is right there. You will be vetted if there is a question about your attendance. And moving on in other news to this week's sale that we're offering for Sunday sermons, 10% off Sunday sermons through the 12th of June. The code is Sunday sermon. Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. Like she puts these codes together and they make sense. You don't have to like XYZ3192 hashtag pound sign star star. That's the code for this week. It's the code we want you to remember after you walk away. What is the code Sunday sermon for what the Sunday sermon discount? You don't want to miss it. Get it and download it and keep it. Do not just say, I can always go back and watch it. We already know better. Technology shifts. Things shift. Life moves on. You're going to be in a place where you don't want to have that much data going on in your life. Purchase a sermon. Add it to your personal library. Have it five years from now, 10 years from now, or wherever you are. Invest in yourself. Or they will take it to, hey, listen, come on now. We know where we live right now, right? We know where we live. And so let's not act like we don't know. Back in the day, come on, I still have my CDs, my tapes. Tapes, I'm old enough to know what tapes are, okay? My tapes of the messages and the sermons that no matter what all of this digital electronic www dot is doing, I can pop it in to my CD player that I still have and listen to the word as long as it's not scratched and listen to it. Remember that? <laughs> you can't scratch it now. Don't scratch the CD. Don't get that tape mangled. Oh, you left the tape in the car. What happened in the window? All right. And so that's this weekend's discount. Now, Sunday, Dr. Price had leadership training class. Exactly. Elder Aaron said it. He said, Jesus. Jesus. He said it. I'm telling you, the soul is an interesting being complex we are fearfully and wonderfully made and it's amazing the things that can hide in the soul that we are not aware of life keeps moving so time moves on because time keeps moving but you don't realize that you're you can get stuck in your soul even though you've moved forward in life and in breaking this down i i'm, I'm happy to announce that next week we'll also be rolling out we'll announce it at the event dr price's uh paula price powertrain teachings and trainings that will be available for you all to enroll and participate in online on a different system. This is not um, through Price University. This is Dr. Price's own vault. I call it the vault. The vault is opening. And it will include out the gate the Soul Sunday teachings that many of you have missed, as well as leadership that many of you have missed if you're online. And those of you who are here only caught it one time. And so it'd be broken down into a class type format with some assignments and things for you to actually learn and assimilate and digest the information and become the top. Well, probably three things that people want to know from Dr. Price. What is God saying in whatever situation? What is he saying? And tell us about uh, leadership and the soul. Well, yeah, the prophetic will be one that'll include all 
uh, prophetic spiritual things, leadership and the soul, top three subjects. And those top three will be represented as we uh, in, uh, roll this out and enlarge it. Very excited to do that. This is a passion Dr. Price has had for a long time. When you're somebody like her with a mandate to infuse into creation everything God has dumped in your soul, you don't stop until it's done. And something about her, if she gives an instruction and we don't do it, she'll keep reinventing a way to get it done. I've been around for over two decades. Something I have observed. Because when you're with a real general, they're going to have their way. And not just have their way because I'm going to have my way. They have orders from above. Her orders come from God. This is not a woman who is just sitting around kicking rocks, thinking about, hmm, what else can I add for my staff to do today? Huh, they're already drowning. Let's see if we can pull them all the way to the bottom of the ocean of responsibility. <laughs> not, <laughs> it might feel, I can't even ring the bell. It might feel, but that's not it. It's she gets her orders because why? People like her, which is why the prophet's luncheon is for people like her. Think about, they're long game thinkers. Where do I want the body of Christ to be in 50 years? Where do I want them to be in 100 years? In 10 years. And they understand the time it takes for something to assimilate and disseminate in creation, in population. When we look up now, like, for example, it looks like all of the sudden we're living oppressed as Christians. All of the sudden, this homosexual agenda is everywhere. But when you pay attention and you go back even as little as 25 years, you see, oh, this has been, if you follow science fiction at all, sci-fi, you will see that the ideas of uh, the non-binary entity, same-sex relationships, homosexual relationships, is all in sci-fi. A lot of that is in sci-fi. Explored inside. I was watching old episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Obviously, they're old. Because it's no longer on. Anyway, watching episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. It was watching how many episodes have that element in it. And the undercurrent and the actual scripting, some of it is, well, we're just not there yet to accept you as you are. And, and they wrapped it up in alien species of people who were androgynous. A species of people that were same sex. A species. So it was wrapped up in the alien engaging with humanity, sometimes sexually, to introduce and say, but we just are not accepted at this time. See, we're going back, and then you'll see elements, if you look back even farther, of those things showing up before. So we have that. We have Ellen DeGeneres. The show is going off the air. But as we recall, when it started, Ellen coming out of the closet was a huge, that's what the whole platform was. Have your first gay Comedian, female, television show, daytime, prime time, whatever time. And how many years has she been on? 20, 20 years? Now, just going off the air. Her work is done. Okay? And so that assignment is up. We These are subtle things. So when you're under somebody like a chief apostle, Dr. Paula Price, who sounds like sometimes they're flipping their lid, on something that's not that deep, is it? You have to have a systemic ear to hear the root of something. I know Assistant Chief knows about this. You have to have the systemic ear 
to hear the spirit of a thing. You have to have a systemic eye to see the spirit behind something. And so it'll be a beat that sounds like a beat. If you have that systemic ear, you're like, that's a ritualistic beat. I may not know what ritual, but I know that's a devil. And it might be in Christian music. Because we expect it in the world. We don't expect it in the house. And you have to have that. And so in setting up things like Paul Price Powertrain, Price University, Little University, Junior University, High School University, grad, I mean, every university we can think of, it, they have schools and training programs set up to indoctrinate their children, to indoctrinate them at that age. So when they're our age, it's a foregone conclusion that this is how it should be. That's why you indoctrinate, how it should be. To indoctrinate, I talked about this yesterday on my show, to indoctrinate simply means to teach. On a basic, it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't have, you know, we think indoctrinization is just religion, Christianity. But these kids, they are trying to indoctrinate them with what? Sexual perversion as normal. As normal. That's the indoctrinization. So they're completely numb and oblivious to anything. I started watching this uh, series that's on, I don't know, Netflix or something about the um, Latter-day Saints and the the guy, the prophet from before who had 52 wives or something. I don't even know. And so they're talking about people who are raised up in that kind of mentality. And the point is you indoctrinate from childhood. So even though something is wrong, when you see it as wrong, you accept it as normal. So they'll see it's wrong to have an 85-year-old man marrying a 14-year-old girl, but they will accept it as normal because, well, that's the way it is. You don't push back. You don't fight back. You acquiesce and you yield. And that's what the indoctrinization and the whole agenda is about right now. Indoctrinizing and putting in people, starting with children, that perversion is normal. That is accepted. This is why events like the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute in November, the Apostolic Summit, are essential for us to not drink the Kool-Aid, even subtly. There are some of these shows that I won't watch because I know because they're funny, they're good, they're whatever. But there's that subtle undercurrent of programming that shows up even just by supporting, you're accepting, you're choosing to overlook and you have to say, hold on, let me just, let me remove myself from this. Why do I like, okay, this is funny. This is funny. This is funny. Like some things are really funny, but are they funny to God? The platform of funny is a wonderful veil for perversion. Romanticism, all of these things, just veil, drama, good acting, good writing, and please don't let it be well written. Whoa, if it's well written. Yeah, I know it's a mess, but boy, that's good. Did you? And you what you don't realize is that you endorse it. You support it. I mean, if the saints of God would remove their endorsement and support from half of this trash out there, it wouldn't be on there. Ratings would tank. There's a lot of saints in the world, a lot of Christians in the U.S. who are into we don't even know what. We have got to be able to separate. And so with that, having the long-term plan. And it's you cannot have the mentality of why are we doing another thing when you are alongside a general like this who is in a new era of apostleship. See, we didn't lie to anybody. The mandate is new era. You have to define the era. 
You have to confine the era. You have to furnish the era. You have to add language to the era. You have to add training programs, entertainment, books. All the seven spheres have to shift into that new era. That is not done with the flip of a switch. We've been saying, how long? You know, Prophet, you know, changing of the God, changing of the God, changing of the God. It's been in songs, dances. Come on, get the flags out, get the dances, changing of the God, get the war dog. Come on, hit those drums. We're going to do it. And then what? This thing was taken over in the education system. It was taken over in entertainment. It was taken over in a whole lot of areas. And it was not done overnight. We are not going to take this back overnight. And we're not going to do it by only being in the prayer closet. See, now they have their people in their prayer closets. And then they have their people in politics. This is why we have vivas. So that we have the intercessors on the wall. And then we have the warriors on Capitol Hill. You see how we need them everywhere. We need the entire strata staffed. And if we're going to shift this into the new era of apostleship and not the new word of apostleship or the new conferences of apostleship or the new songs of apostleship, but actually the new era, era of apostleship, it's going to take a lot more than yay and amen. You know, God is like, yeah, and amen. It is done. It is finished. He worked a long time to get this, what we have right now. And it's going to take effort and it's going to take ceaseless work because these devils work all the time to get us out. How many people, by a show of hands, even in the room, you can wave your hand online, say you wake up in the middle of the night in warfare. See, these are, these are devils working around the clock, working you over around the clock. So we cannot walk around with the mentality of I need to be done by 5 p.m. If you expect to actually change something for God and change this era, because these these devil, they work and they have shifts. They have the night watch. You know, they have the night watch people praying because that's when we're like, what just happened? I was fine when I went to bed and I woke up crazy. That means the crazy devils had the midnight watch. Because whatever you woke up feeling like, that's who was on shift last night while you were sleeping. Okay? And so while so many saints are running to the pillow, the bedside Baptist anointing and everything else and whining and crying and griping about how much the church is taking from them and how much effort they have to give to the church and how much they have to whatever for the church. And I have a life too. Do you? Do you want to have one? Church is going, you don't have a life. What are we talking about here? Right. Because no nation on the planet gives Jesus Christ the credence, the leeway, and the reverence that America has mm-hmm. over the years. And so you can talk all day. Why do you think Satan keeps training you to hate the church? Yep. That's a training. You, you're doing a training. You're in a class. You're, you're actually, your practicum is staying home from church. Your practicum is not paying tithes. Your practicum is not listening to your leads. Your practicum is hating preachers. Your practicum is hating ritual, hating religion. All of that is Satan's practicum. You know, uh, you know, coming against righteousness, immorality. Well, actually, uh, you know, perversion, because God doesn't have morality. God has righteousness or not. 
I'm just saying. So you are practicing what Satan has preached in your universities, Come on. in your schools, in your classrooms, in your programs, in your television programs, in your movies. Your practicum is Satan's message. Hate Christians. Yeah. Hate church. Destroy Christ. That's practicum your indifference to god you're deciding to treat him any old kind of way and and god forbid if we're talking about prophets now come on you know i mean we are his age-old eternal nemesis right and so you think that you're being trendy you know but if you take tr off trend and you got end right the end of a matter and so you actually think that you are being sophisticated. Sophisticated, a synonym, once a, a synonym for sophisticated is carnal. Of course. Carnal. You know, and this, this is a word war, except not God's people won't war with the word. Uh-huh. This is a word war. Because God's people have it in their minds that they are, uh, they are, sophisticated you know we're too mature to be the ancient saint we're too mature we're we're enlightened so we won't be primitive saint we won't do that and so all of this here stuff like when people tell me that i'm like are you kidding me you hate god and you hate god because your education taught you to hate the almighty it taught you to hate Christianity. You don't take over a land. You don't take over a nation. As she was saying, you don't take over a nation on a thought. You take over a nation on a campaign. Yes, come on. Long-standing campaign. So all of this attitude, even you all, y'all get you, you you sit there and you're in church and and all of a sudden you don't like what I said or you don't like what one of the leaders said or we do something you disapprove. That is your satanic education at work. Because when you agree with something, you cooperate, you comply, yeah. and you conform True. without angst, without agitation, and without criticism. You know, I like the, the you know, when you, uh, we were talking, riding in this morning, and I said, you know, the interesting thing about people who are critical is that they never have the criteria. Mm. Isn't that something? Now say that. So you're, you're criticizing something for which you have no criteria. You don't know the benchmark. You don't know the plumb line. You don't know the benchmark. And you don't care. All you know is that it, dis it, it disagrees with your emotional self. Is that all right? Yes, that's all right. Prophecy Clinic. Let's, let's get it up here because we want you to understand. Prophecy Clinic. So... And it's bad when you get a prophet with that sentiment. Because prophets are innate inseminators, yes. which means whether they uh, whether they say it or not, they they, they emit from the prop. That's the purpose of the prophet spirit is to literally atomize the world, atomize their environment, atomize. That means what? Spray. Spray the atoms. Yeah, come on. It's atomic. So prophets and apostles are the least likely to have what we would call innocent observations or innocuous opinions. They're least likely because they're essential 
purpose, the reason they are in God's service is to atomize the world with his word, his logic, and his wisdom. In other words, we're all going to have encountered things that we disagree with, that we don't like, don't we? Everybody, there's going to be a day. But the prophet doesn't have the, the luxury of spurting, spouting, spewing, seething, and stewing. Prophecy clinic. You don't have that luxury for two reasons. Number one, I've already discussed the atomization. You literally breed God's atomics, his atoms into every situation. Because remember, we're talking about cellulation. So we cellulate. This is a biotic gospel. It's very noteworthy that the, the writers of the gospels emphasize Jesus said not a mumbling word. He didn't say a word. They did all manner of evil to him. He did not say a word. When he stood in front of a pilot, he didn't defend himself because his death was his defense. And so if God scripted, God scripted Jesus, if you read the Psalm 40, you read the, uh, Psalm 16, you read 22, I believe it is. You read the Psalms about his incarnation. You realize he was scripted as a prophet. He was scripted, scripted. And and as a prophet, he had to do the entire assignment the way the text ran. So he could not defend himself because his death was a defense. His message was the defense. And when it was time for him to die, he couldn't speak because he's the prince of life. So he got to shut up or he's not going to die. Okay. So this wasn't even just a, 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 a noble, noble incident for him. He He's the prince of life. What did Peter say in book of Acts? But they killed the prince of life, which is almost like contradict. What? If he's the prince of life, how do we kill him? Well, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what? was God and the same was in the beginning with God and the word became flesh and the flesh is Jesus Christ so he's the prince of life he can't speak because his spirit he is the almighty his spirit would have stopped death which is why it was important for him to do the the Lazarus task okay the Lazarus task it was important for them to know I'm laying down my life I'm surrendering my life because it's in the script Isaiah 53 had to be carried out by Jesus Christ meticulously. So that he can make his grave with the dead. So, so all, uh, while they, he, everything was there. It was David wrote and the, the Psalms wrote, he ends with, I thirst and they're going to give him gall to drink. He had to say that on cue. Because there is this eternal real that's unfolding its reality in the flesh, in the world, in the realm of the flesh. So he had to say, I thirst. He had to say, Father, into my ha- thy hands. I could. All of that was script. We can't even prophesy correctly. So you know we cannot dramatize our prophecies correctly. We can't act them out. Because we can't even speak them out right. 
We're going to stand in. In other words, one of the things about prophets that bother me, and I don't care if they're mine or whatever, prophets can't ever shut up. They can't ever get to the end of a sentence. Mm. They got to repeat it 95 different ways. They got to spit at you, roll on the floor, scut, all of that. That just come, Roll on the floor, lay down, kick you, all of that. They got to come on. You send a prophet. I kid you not. You send a prophet to teach a class. They're going to preach and prophesy. You send a prophet to preach and prophesy. They're going to teach a class. You send a prophet. They can't give a message. And don't try to send a prophet to pray. You're not getting prayer from a prophet. Not a real, not, not the young ones, because the young ones have to let you know what, what's happening with them and God. So you have to be on the news wire. Prophecy clinic. Because you got to scream and shout, gyrate, then you got to talk, talk, babble, babble, talk about pro- psycho babble. Can we talk about proper babble? You can't get out of anything on time with a new prophet and a young prophet or an undisciplined one because they are, their babble is too important. No, I train prophets. And let me tell you something. I say this to my prophets. I got a prophet that can tell you today. I just said this to her last week. I said, you won't go large. You know why? Because you use up too many two people's time. Mm-hmm. See, they tell me I got 10 minutes. I do 10. True. They tell me I've got three minutes. I do three. 2.5. Okay, 2.5. I did. I, I might come in at 2.5. And you know why? Because I respect the, the windows God created. He gave me a window of 10 minutes. He didn't give me a window of 30. Because he had to persuade them to get me in the window. To get me to the window. Okay? He had to talk them into letting me in. The last thing I want to do is talk my way out. Is that the truth? All right. And then they get on the phone and talk about how you made them run over or they embarrass you by cutting you off. Discipline. Discipline. You you can get angry with all of that. But and, and, and when your mentor tells you you don't you go too long, you do what you go in there. They call you to pray and you're going to give your testimony. Uh-uh, they're not going to call you back because, see, in their agenda, they had prophetic prayer. If you change your part, the people don't get prayer, prophetic or otherwise. <laughs> See, a lot of you all like, I mean, I, I, you know, I spoke at so-and-so once and they never called me back. Nine times out of ten, you went over time, you turned it into a preacher-thon, you sermoned, you huffed, you puffed, you spit, you spat, you then went on to testimony, and then you did all of that. And they were like, okay, that's good. And, and here's how we deceive ourselves. Because we're so powerful, our mantle can exude the Holy Ghost. We think because it exuded the Holy Ghost that the people were pleased and the leaders were happy that you broke their rules. See, the Holy Ghost will do, you know, a, a rape will still produce a baby. The baby can still be president. Incest will still conceive a child who will still grow up to be a great person, despite how that happened. So you violating people's parameters 
or getting up there, turning things into everything has got to be about you. See, when it has to be about your testimony, has to be about what happened with you in the in the closet. When it has to be about, or has to be about all of that. That's you. That's that. That's not the edification of the body. That's the elevation and ego egoization of you. Prophecy clinic. So this is clinical assessment. We tell you you got to stop at 1030 and then you start at, at, at 1001. You're going to let us know you're going to 1101. But that means you have no control over your spirit. That means your prophet spirit does not know how to handle the Holy Ghost. It's undisciplined when the Holy Ghost begins to move because you can't regulate it. It begins to catch your way and sweep your way. Wow. Because, but isn't it with anything? It doesn't matter. We can have, you know, cheer, cheer, cheer. But when it's time for that, the, the play ball happen, everybody better shut up. Huh. We're going to play ball. We're going to sing the national anthem. So you have to recognize that Babel spirit is in the prophet. The It's a babbling spirit. It can't help it. That's why it keeps dripping. It's like a leaky fourth faucet, a dripping whatever. It's in the prophet. And so that's where discipline comes in. You know, it's like the people who have, I, when I was 13, I told y'all, well, nine, actually, my voice was discovered at nine. And so at nine, you don't have discipline. That's why it cracks me up that the church put kids up without, without training. Well, I had an uncontrollable vibrato. I mean, they wanted me to sing in a choir. And they said, can you control that? First of all, I'm nine. Do I know what vibrato is? <laughs> I'm nine. I'm nine. So I go home and I tell my mother, who was a singer, and I go home and I say, Mom, they tell me I have to stop this. And she said, that's lack of control over your diaphragm. I'm nine. Right. Thank you. <laughs> For years, I thought a diagram was a diaphragm. But I was so blessed that my church had a, a real trainer, a man who had been, was well-known, well-renowned for training. And he said to me that, because after that, I didn't want to sing anymore. I figured, well, if I got that, I kind of treated it like a disease. You know, oh my, I got this diet. I got this vibrato. I don't, you know. Ooh. <laughs> I said, so he said to me, you saved that for the best. You don't make that your song. And he taught me how to control it and how to bring it up. And, and I say that because a lot of prophets have too much vibrato. And it's uncontrolled. The other thing is that you feel like every time you prophesy, you got the, the Holy Ghost intensifies and you amplify. Why people don't want you screaming in their face? My God, <laughs> they don't want the lobby in the airport to hear your prophet, hear their prophecy. You are master when you can just say it. 
Now, there are times that you need to go into a warring posture or at least an authoritative posture. But authoritative doesn't mean boisterous. Prophecy clinic. Practice prophesying without shrieking. See how it feels. Might feel good. It could happen. As a matter of fact, I've sat with people and they're like, when are you going to prophesy? I've been prophesying to you for 15 minutes. You didn't hear that? Attune your ears to the shift of a prophet's sound because prophets have a particular frequency, a particular tenor, a particular sound that doesn't necessarily rely on volume. And I've taught this. You ask my prophets, and when they get to, I, I, I'll say to her, I said, but that, that, that one, they're too loud. I won't use them in certain things because they're too loud. They can't manage their vibrato. Vibration. See? Vibrato. Vibration. They can't handle the Holy Ghost vibrations. Why? Because it's traditional that anything with God has to move into sermon, has to move into screeching, has to move into whatever. While I enjoy Friday night, I got to tell you, Sharon Doherty did her thing. Come on now. And heaven moved, and she did not go crazy. And when the audience gets loud, you have to tell them stop. Stop. I need my audience to listen because you can't say amen to something you haven't heard. Okay, so how can a prophet uh, know, first of all, register they are screaming? Because sometimes you have, you know, over the years, been around a long time, you've done this, and then people sometimes in the class don't realize it's them yeah. who, and at some point, I mean, because we all had to over the years learn this. Uh, so how do you recognize when even intensity shoots over into fever pitch? Like when is it your flesh that kicks in or when, or, you know what I mean? So how, what are those different ways that you can kind of figure that out? In the beginning, it's far as, you know, it's, it's difficult. So you have to listen to your recordings. Public speakers, public communicators critique themselves. They listen to their recording and they listen to when it is. But also when you get to the point that it's loud, there's, it, it becomes, it sounds kind of hollow. It goes from being weighty to echoey, hollow, because now it's your sound that's making the difference, that's taking over. So, so you have to listen to yourself. And when you listen to yourself, you're going to hear a few things. Like, I am not one for, for people to have to pray and speak in tongues every 30 seconds. I don't agree with that. I feel like if we're communicate, if we're going to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. You should have done that before I gave you the mic. Don't we have a, a teaching on a biblical prophetics class on this? Because I teach this all the time. So uh, like that's why my my seasoned prophets don't fall lapse back and forth into tongues. Because it's how to, being in tongues means you're you're standing in front of the mic giving a message and then running to tear off another piece of your communications to read over the mic. So I don't now this is me. There it's a it's a common practice. It's just not common here. 
So I won't put you on a mic if you have to say, uh, you know, Father God, I just thank you in the name of Jesus, Father God, and I just know that we're just coming to get coming to you in the name of Jesus, and and Lord, I just thank you in the name of Jesus that you are giving me this opportunity to speak to you with the name of Jesus, and then Father God, I just want you to know I'm speaking your truth, and Lord God, I'm speaking your truth, and God, the truth is up, and we go, up, and Lord, so now I'm asking you today, Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I'm at- God had roll call. <laughs> And then, and then after, but now you're getting feeble. And so now, Father, we just bind the enemy that's coming against us. And God, we take authority. That's filler food. I don't care that you're calling it prophecy. That means your brain is not connected. There's a break between the spirit's transmission and your brain's assimilation for communications. So your brain is not holding the prophetic information. So when you all pray like that, you notice I don't bring you back. What do I say? Uh-uh, they, they need. I say they need to grow some more. I need you to give them some training because why? The prophet spirit is new and young in you, and it hasn't taken on that solidarity, the 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 text the texturization of like uh, just think of it as a honeycomb, and the honey is coming through, but it takes a while for that cone, cone to be able to process that honey. So your spirit has to keep going to get a dip. I got to keep dipping in and get a dip so I can dip it to say it and dip it to say it and grab it to say it. You, you uh-uh. That's why we start prophets with the kids. A lot of y'all churches should have started your prophets in children's church. They should have been in youth camp. Because then they, because, and it doesn't make a difference whether it's prophecy or not. Let me just say this to you because it's very important for you to get this. See, because this here is about getting training, equipping, arming, and the mantle. So you need to recognize prophecy is communications. I don't care if it's divine communications. It's still communications. And communications have rules. They have parameters. They have the typical protocols and procedures. You don't have to prophesy blind. People got to prophesy with their eyes closed. I don't know why. What are you seeing back there? I'm not getting that. You're a divine communicator. You should not train prophets to prophesy until you have trained them in public communications. Because that training reframes or it frames or it configures the brain. Prophecy has a particular configuration in the brain. So when my when we train prophets, I'm not interested in your, your predictions. Do I care? If I if I can't understand it, if I can't get past your filler food, I'm distracted by the fillers. What are you saying? Because it's communications, people. It is communications, people. It is communications. We're not exempt from the the, the traditional way people have been trained to take in communications or to deliver it. 
So we have classes, and I'm like, no, they need to learn how to communicate. Because you ought to be able to prophesy at a table of high powers and them to recognize that Jesus is talking without you shrieking up the room. Many of them, they will not bring you because they, you are, listen, it's not only a communication. If you're in the office, you are a counselor, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. You're an advisor. And, and prediction just happens to be one aspect of it. One, just uh, one. They, we call it prophecy. They call it forecasting. Right. But it's still communications. Are you all hearing me? Yeah. How about you in social media? You prophets out there, are you hearing me? A lot of your callbacks were literally hindered by your delivery. There is a delivery system. There is a delivery method. Now, I may pray strong or the mic is loud. But there's a difference between force and shriek and scream. And if you're a person with a high-pitched voice, normally the last thing you want to do is allow yourself to look like you're shrieking when you're just raising your voice a little bit. But it's divine communications. You are a divine communicant. And if you want people to hear you, you cannot cause them to want to close their ears and back away from you because you're yelling. Because they're, you've shifted their attention from what you're saying to defending themselves from how you say it. All those antics and gyrations and carrying on, that was the uniqueness of Israel's prophets. They were masterful in not allowing the spirit of God in them to destabilize their, their motor system. You know, we've got, you know, you're, there's a, you know, we're talking about cycle motor, but there's a motorization of the prophet. You're going to have to understand the Holy Ghost is going to make you want to tremble. That means you have to, you have to buck up, work out, musc- you know, musculate yourself. I have days where God, I pray, God, now, Jesus, now, you know, good and well, you're coming on strong right now, sweetheart. I'm going to need you to keep me on my feet. <laughs> I'm going to need you to keep me standing. I'm still standing. Because the power is, of God is strong in me, and it's not strong in me because I'm weak anymore. It's strong in me because now I have to bulk up to the next level. When you, you'll know when you're, God's going to use you because he usually has some sort of sensation that is unique to you. You know, going from the dream to the, to the deposit, to the assimilation in the spirit, to the transmission through the soul so that you can get ready to communicate it to the body. That's a pathway. There is a prophetic pathway in all of us. So all of that, that, um, you know, you just pray in tongues. Let me tell you something. You pray in tongues because you don't know what you're saying. You're not sure you're a prophet and you're not used to hearing. And you're bad at translating spiritual language into human articulation. And so when I said it to this person, one of my prophets, you know, not every prophet can receive development, developmental correction. Most prophets, depending on how they were raised, they will take anything that's not affirming, you know, or anything that is not encouraging and uplifting as rebuke. 
I had to teach my people rebuke is a severe word. So why can't we, how do we go from, I want to tweak this, I want to develop you to rebuke. Well, that has to do with childhood, child rearing. And it takes a little bit to get over that. That every time you're not affirmed, every time you feel like you haven't been encouraged because you heard that lion spirit that said all prophecy is encouragement. I don't even know what, the, well, I don't care about the devil. It's a shame that the people did it. I'm looking in the Bible, looking at these prophecies. I was like, well, God, I guess what is the encouragement? And not all, not all negative prophecies are going to end with a positive outcome. And if it does, you can rest assured the outcome is going to be probably a few decades between the word going forth and the positive outcome. And in between, there's a whole lot going on. A whole lot of discomfort, a whole lot of challenging and changing and purging and all of that. Most people, you're out of your call because you can't be developed. And you only want developers that are affirm your error and affirm your mediocrity, your insufficiency. I'm not doing that because God plays to win. You can talk about, they can teach all of that stuff all you want, but you can rest assured those people that God put at the top, they don't hum a hum a fill a fill a na 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 na. They know better. They can restrain that prophet spirit and the prophecy pathway that comes from it. prophecy clinic see and so many of you you don't you won't get back they always say that people bring me in and they think i'm going to go on and on and on because i have a lot to say just because you have a lot to say doesn't mean you've been allotted the time to deliver it wow. learn today lead tomorrow Mind of Christ, thoughts of God. When you read in the scripture, they said Jesus screamed, he screamed because they had no mics. Right. Because if he went around screaming inside of you, you'd be in some sort of a sane asylum. <laughs> Anybody else hear that? You are so busy making sure everybody believe God is using you because volume and your very underdeveloped delivery that you don't recognize, heaven has to act on those words. Prophecy has to be actionable. And in order for it to be actionable, it must be heard. Hmm. When you declare it, you heard it. And I've seen, but the thing, you have got to get to a point that you don't have to scream, you don't have to fill, you don't have to become the centerpiece of the word. God gets no glory. Because if, I, I kid you not, Pete, there are some people who will stand there and tolerate it and will never go to another prophet. So you have to think about the prophets that are coming behind you. The messengers who are coming behind you. Punctuating things, emphasizing things, great, but know your audience. Know the organization that you're in. And practice, practice with your friends. When you give a word, as a matter of fact, when this is over, ask your friends, so how did I do it? Let them tell you you, you were shrieking. Because yeah. the people who are suffering, it can't tell you. 
They're going home fussing in the car, asking God to never speak to them like that again. And we'll tell you, no, I don't know. I don't know. When people, when I have something that is raw and that is very sensitive, I turn off the mic or walk them away from it and I whisper in their ears. And you know why? Because I want it to be actionable information. As Chief says, actionable intel. And so if they can't act on it or if what I've done causes them to reject it, then the prevention or the preservation or whatever else God has planned for that word is aborted on your ego, on your underdevelopment, on your lack of composure. It's very difficult. And trust me, you'll have this battle until you go home to be with the Lord because there are certain things that will become so, so um, potent and then so fervent. You, you, you feel so strongly about it that you have to restrain yourself. But just the same way you can't yell out in court. Does that, does that also roll into like laying hands on people when God is moving so powerfully through you? You just might want to like throw people across their hobbies. If you have to push, then you don't have an anointing for that. See, I, I my when I was very, I'm mean, just the truth. If you got to push, it's because you want people to think God's moving through you. You don't want God to demonstrate that He is. My biggest thing is now people tell me sometimes, but your hand is heavy. That's not me. She'll tell you. I'll, I will hold my, I hardly touch. I like doing this because that way they know it's Jesus. Oh, I'll take my finger, one finger. That's a heavy finger, my God. Just one. Why? Because I, my, God is a witness between us. I tell Jesus regularly, come on, honey, show off, show your stuff. Let him know the great I am is still the great I am. Come on, Jesus. Do your Jesus thing. I want them to come to him. So I'm not going to do that. And if somebody has to push your head and whatever, listen, you, whether you go through it or not, because some people don't know any better. Some people just feel like, wow, this is a muscle thing. This is not a muscle contest. This is a dispensational contest. So if God is dispensing through your hands, you don't have to push on people and lay on them unless there are special circumstances for their deliverance. Now, you will have those moments where God will just tell you, they'll t I can just hug people. My God, you can't. Sometimes I just hug them. I just put my arms around them and hug them. And I feel that devil slide out through their feet. Because this is about Jesus Christ. This is about people thanking him at least first can he get the first fruit thanks yeah. is this all right because yeah. you know the thing exactly prophecy clinic so there are there are things that you do and then sometimes i don't even touch people i just hold the hand because i want them to know that jesus got them the lord's got you he's got you and 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 it literally will move from my body out through my hands and I haven't pushed or shoved. If I got, and, and many people, like when I meet people who decide they want to push back on my anointing, you know what I do? I leave them. 
your your ego and and wrestling is more important than your the, the gift God wants to give you. Hey, you do that. I'm not gonna fight with you. When they back down the road, I don't go. I used to when I was young. I don't go down the road. I'm not running around here chasing you for something God want to bless you. If your ego is too big to be blessed, then you don't need the blessing. Now I don't care who did it wrong. Just because people do something wrong doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done right, and it can't be done right. So these are just prophecy clinic so that you understand what it is that God is calling you to do. God expects you to manifest him. But the manifestation of the spirit, see, manifest the Holy Ghost who's invisible, who's pervasive, who's largely inaudible until you prayed up and he said, separate me. Amen. Can you imagine back then the Holy Ghost just spoke in the meeting? Yeah. Separate me. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's good. That's good. So you all are young prophets. My young prophets will be poised. They will be composed. They will be articulate. They will be intelligent. Because we're not blaming in Ill idiocy and mayhem, mediocrity, on the Holy Ghost. This man has a whole kingdom. Before he said, let there be light, he was running whole kingdoms. So that whole idea that prophets have to be inane and comical and travesties when they're not tragedies, that's got to cease. That's what makes the 8th century prophets what they are. <laughs> Samuel pulled together a prophetic guard, a prophetic company. You want, to, you want to talk about, well, you know, I went to speak to so-and-so, and I just, I mean, I just told him, not everybody is Jeroboam. Not every leader needs to be yelled at, rebuked, and, and whatever. Most of them, those that I've been ministering to, they want truth and they want real realism. They say, like the realism. They want truth, realism, and direction. And they like the how-to. Now, that's what been my experience, and I've been dealing with quite a few of them. What they don't want is for me to yell at y'all and whatever. Now, there are times that behind the scenes, I do pray my lions roar. But they seem to be all right with that. I think the church has a problem with them more than... They're like, get it. They're like, do it. Because, see, they facing real spirits. Yeah. And so when you when when you are in those positions, you, do not allow your lack of discipline to remove you from their roster. Well, you know, I want to bring someone so, but, but man, she started prophesying 30 minutes later. When you got 300 people in the room, nobody wants you to give 30 minute prophecy to one person. That guarantees that everybody else is not getting it. So this person walks out with, a, with their soul so full of prophecy that it lays them out for six weeks. And then, then they, they scared. They're afraid. That, and especially when you prophesy 30 minutes, you know that's the equivalent of 50 years of living? Seriously, yeah. That's the equivalent of 50 years of living. It's better to let them know what they're going to get through in this year. Can we just do this year? <laughs> so we like... And then they're, and they're in turmoil. See, that creates prophecy turmoil. 
because they don't know how it's going to happen. They don't have a support that's going to walk them through those words. Because when you have a prophecy that long, you need to sit down with a senior prophet to help you break that thing down into a cogency that directs your life showing you this is a plan this is later this is now but to sit there and give somebody 30 minutes of prophecy that even you can't explain but because your pump kept went on and then somebody got took and broke the nozzle so it can't go off so you kept you 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 just dreaming just dreaming you know that's bad don't ever do that now you can do that if you have made them your client if you are their advisor and they're your advisee and even then you want to spread it out over a few years because they can't handle all of that in six months and their brains don't know what to do with it so then they walk around and they turn your prophecy into a shrine you know the lord told me yeah i don't know how he's gonna do it well i'm not sure how it's going to happen they enshrine your word because they can't act on it and they can't act on it because they can't dissect it they can't dissect it because they really cannot pierce what you said so they're walking around with a lump it's like somebody saying i told you i was gonna make a dozen cookies but i'll bring you a a, a 12 pound cookie That is how it, it happens in the spirit. So if you're brought in to do a, 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 a counseling or to do a presbytery, if you're brought in to do that, then you do it and you be mindful of the fact that everybody wants to hear from God. And you cannot enact 50 years of living in life calling destiny in a 30 minute prophecy that people can only marginally marginally understand and scarcely accept so so now you set them up for the next 20 years at least crying to god i'm failing god i don't know what that god meant he says so and so well i read this i wrote it all down i recorded it i did that and they don't know and so what they do they do nothing you've given them unactionable words wow they can't actionize a thing you're saying because we have forgotten prophecy is supposed to be an enactor, mm. not an experiment, not a mere expression. It's supposed to enact. And so they, and a lot of the things that your word is supposed to connect with doesn't even have the, the root in the ground, the root system, the ground hasn't been open for that root to come and take that word. So you put the seed in there and it's sitting on top of the ground. And Jesus tells you in the parable of the seed and the sower and the word, what happens when there's no place for your word. Because if there's no place for the word that you give, that means that word is now going to have to bore itself into the soul. So it's going to have to take on a hydraulic effect. That's why synonym for hydraulic is pneumatic. So it's going to have to take on this hydraulic effect and begin to break through that fallow ground we like to preach about. Otherwise, and you hope it breaks through quickly because otherwise the the birds of the air and the critters are going to come and eat that seed. 
That means scavengers are going to take that word before it can sink into people's hearts. Do you know how many times Jesus said to his, his apostles, let these words sink down into your ears? So sinking has to happen, not just S-I-N-K, but also S-Y-N-C, synchronizing it with the Holy Ghost. I have a slide, and if I, I I didn't put it in here, I don't think, but I have a slide where, and I've shown it to you before, the, the, the journey of a prophecy. Oh, yeah. From vision yeah. to manifestation. You have to stop prophesying as if the end of that, that 60 second with that person or hour, if you're one of those. Um, <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's in it's in the um, prophecy timeline series, and so and it walks you through that, and it ties your right with the calendar. So there is a twenty eight day cycle, or season for the word of the Lord, and that it has to go through, and it doesn't necessarily do it in twenty eight days. It's just twenty eight seasons. Which is why God could give you a word when you're in college and you're like, wow. And then you go out to help him and you fall in all kinds of mess and all kinds of whatever. And then you give up. You sleep. I'm done. I'm out. Jesus, I'm not at the end of it, Lord. Love you dearly, but no. And then the season comes and the clock starts again. And the next stage of that clock treating seasons, hours as seasons, the next phase and phase, all of a sudden, everything that you tried before is now impossible for you to avoid. But see, you've been taught that if a prophecy doesn't happen within 30 days, 30 minutes, whatever, then it's wrong. No, 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 no. When a prophecy shows up, you need to backtrack and find out all of the journey and all of the steps and stages it took for it to do it. Because the last two things that let you know a prophecy is about to happen is the people and money. Yeah. Finances. Yes, Lord. Because I don't care if it's just you getting married, the people to do your wedding, the right bridal company, the right venue, yeah. the, uh, all of that. People and money, when I get a chance, we'll, we'll do this cycle again because I, 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 you need to see it. Some of you all, you don't know what season your prophecy is in. Because every prophecy is a pregnancy. And so you can, you know, you have these women that say, I'm going to bring have my baby early because I want to go on a cruise. They have no idea what they're doing to, the, to that infant. And it could be years before they figure out why nature thought that next six weeks was important. Why the Almighty timed it because he wrote in a book. Yeah. And so, so when you think about it, your prophecy, just because you got it today, doesn't mean it happens within even your, your foreseeable future. Prophecy is for God's foreseen future, not your foreseeable future. Okay. Did you like that? So in a word, the whole purpose of this teaching and the journey 
we will take through it is so that you understand God's reliance on the prophetic, how it how it is to consist of more than prophecy, prophesying and be able to represent his thoughts, his emotions, will, his experiences and his expectations for his creation accurately. The prophet, above all other ministers, were granted the privilege of hearing and declaring what the what we would call right now, the right now word of God. That privilege did not authorize them to use a present tense prophecy to undo or distort his written word, but rather to articulate how the world that was um, concealed in history over the ages, excuse me, how the word that was concealed in history over the ages was ready to be fulfilled. The prophet's wisdom would tell the contemporary world that God, what God meant by what he said back then and why in their times the word would be fulfilled. And in many instances, the ways the Lord would bring his word that was dormant to pass in present times. Remember Psalm 78 about the word of the Lord being spoken way back in time to guide the generations to come. Several of the prophets understood this and attached a futuristic performance of some of the words that they spoke, or at least the completion of what their prophecies ignited in their times. These statements are why the gift belongs to the office and why full-fledged prophets are official agents office occupiers and executors of God's eternal and perpetually unfolding divine communications media. You're a communicator. You're not just a predictor. You're not just a prophesier. You're not a diviner. See, if you're divining, it's still a form of communications. You're just divining by something God didn't write or didn't intend or that's perverting what he ordained. You can't be a quality prophet and not read and know the prophecy. I, I, it blows my mind how many people, uh, leaders, put up prophets who don't read the Bible. Because they've been taught that the Holy Ghost is going to say something in the now that's not in the, it, in the ancient word. So let me just tell you this. The Bible's eternal. Prophecy is eternal. Protocols, eternal. How do I know that? God says to Moses, when he's on the mountain and he's receiving the Ten Commandments, all you hear is that he received the Ten Commandments. You don't read where he says, but see that you do everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Isn't that interesting? Pattern? Mountain? What? Where did he get the pattern from? <laughs> God is extending his world, a, a segment of his world, into this one. He's fleshing it out through humanity, through clay pots. So if Moses got the pattern, that means that the pattern typifies something that's been in existence, has been established as a standard, has been standardized and uniformed and able to be replicated without variation or minimal adaptation. So here we are today, you're, you're talking as if the Holy Ghost doesn't have to back your words. The Holy Ghost was going to back Jesus. He said, when the Spirit has come, he will take of what is mine and show it to you. 
Now, in God's world, showing and telling and doing and being are all one. Right. So I'm going to show you what I'm thinking. I'm going to show you how to do it. See, showing. I'm going to show you how to do it, show you how to measure it, show you how to assess it, show you how to correct it, and then show you that it's done right and, or show you the errors and shortfalls. So show it was a wonderful word for Jesus to use. We like to change his words because we think very microscopically and God thinks finitely. So the Holy Spirit, if he can't show or do all of that show and have his showmanship in your prophecy, then it's yours. And in Jeremiah, he writes, and yet they think the world, the word will come to pass. They hope it'll come to pass. When you read Ezekiel, I like, again, if you are a genuine prophetic educator, now some of you all are just prophecy coaches. Is that all right? This all you do is coach people in the prophecy. You can't teach. Because then you can never teach what you haven't reached. Ever. That's why a disciple can't be above the teacher. If your disciples are above you, then you need to understand that you gave them some tutorials. Don't you? <laughs> See, there is, we think teaching is kind of like an all-in-one term. And that it's all-encompassing and all-inclusive whenever we say something to people that we want them to take academically or instructionally. But see, teaching has a lot of things. There's a whole spectrum as far as teaching goes. When you think about it, were you coached to prophesy or were you educated as a prophet? Did you teach? Did it hit it hard? Did it just get? When you did you go to a little quick study flash class for some prophecy tutorials? You were tutored in prophecy. You know, my book, Assessing Your Prophetic Self, I know it's over here somewhere. There, here it is. I cover all of this. Not everybody who says, I'm going to give you a piece of information is instructing you. There is a difference between instruction and information or informing. And, and, and in the middle of it, struck means build. So are they just informing you? You got a little piece of enlightenment, a little bit of illumination. See, I, when people tell me that, I ask, you're paying for these courses? You need to find out what, what quality and what the caliber of your prophecy education really is. Is it a tutorial? You can't credential tutorials. You can't even critique them because they're only taking what a teacher has given you and breaking it down for you to grasp it and be able to Recall it enough to pass the test. Not so with education. Education, you got to do homework. You know, y'all don't like that. People can't even believe the prophets should have homework. 
I'm like, if God's not talking to you through homework, I'm telling you he's not talking through you to the, through the mic. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> oh, you're doing a favor. I'm ringing it for the prophet. I'm Because that means that everything is about your personal experience. Public ministry is not about your personal experience, which is why things can happen to us personally that we can't ever bring out in public or we can't ever create a public platform for. Public. God has a public. Ministry is public. I want you to get that. Because you're you're being trained based on somebody's private experience. Oh my. And you're trying to thrust it in the mouths of the public. And when and then you get upset when they ask you questions. Don't ask me, ask God. Are you kidding me? You should have shut your mouth. If I got to ask God, why are you here saying you're speaking for God? Did he not? Did you leave too soon? Did you not get the rest of the information? Did he just, did he talk in a different language? What happened? Did you fall asleep? Drift off? Did he not translate it? Did you? Okay. Before Moses went to get Israel, God, he and God had classes. Moses, Moses knew all that. I mean, clearly he and God had an experience because he understood God was talking in a bush. The rest of us, we're going to get the fire department. <laughs> okay, this, uh, uh, thank you. Casting it out. But God put all of his people, he trained Jeremiah. You can read, but if you don't read the prophets, you don't know that God's a trainer. He trained Jeremiah. He trained Ezekiel. He talks to you differently when you are in his office because his off, your office is in his institution, not an age-old institution, but an eternal one. You know, in my, I have a class, when we do our prophecy clinic classes, there, we have a whole thing where we got five prophecies that are still ruling the world today. Still ruling. And we'll rule till, till the spirit and the bride say come. So you are, and you're excited because you think because you can chat it out that you can enact. You think because you can verbalize that you can actionize. The purpose of prophecy is to actionize what God has embedded in creation in its season. My words will be fulfilled in you in their season. You set seasons, not and just and creation has its own season. Doesn't need you to set its season. The creator did that for us. I think he probably didn't trust us enough. I don't trust you. Yeah, he probably is real cautious. But you set seasons in people's lives. And their life triggers the seasons in the world. And the world's seasons withdraw from creation all of the elements and components and constituents it needs to make that world word alive, functioning, embodiable, and eventual. So when I when I start calling for a seed, I need y'all to sell because you can't get this from anywhere. That's 
So I need you to do it. So when you think about it, the reason you're upset with prophecy is to you, it comes across as a parlor trick, as a party favor. Okay, so we got a bunch of people together. Let's just all prophesy. But I've been in those. I've been in, and, and many of you probably have as well. But the, the, the purpose of prophecy is to make heaven's products and heaven's processes and materials embody in the flesh, embody in this world. So we're looking for two things, embodiment and manifestation. If you flip them, the me of your prophecy is manifestation and embodiment. So if you can't go back by the same token, now I'm giving you this on a small scale. Now, if you say that you got a prophecy that you're going to have a worldwide business and you're expecting that to happen Monday, then either the prophet shouldn't have given you that word and you probably came up when they want it for somebody else because there are times that prophets can misjudge where a word should go. That's why God has to say no because he has to tell no, not that or either I'll give a word and I'll keep and I'm running and running and running down if I'm doing a number of people, which I don't do a lot any longer. So just remember, I said that <laughs> I have a team to do that. And my team is amazing. But but and then I have times and I'm ready. And the next in line is coming and, and I'm rolling. And God said, no. That word is not for this one. But see, that's masterful. Because for you to understand that this this entire uh, open uh, stream that's falling in different people, I am able to to not mistakenly give another person's word to the one standing in front of me just because they're next in line. So I'll step over. I'll move on down the line and I'll leave the line. If they, God's like, I'm done with the line, I'll leave the line. Let them run with it. I'm going in the back to get whoever. Because that, that's discernment. That's proper allocation, apportionment of the word of the Lord. Thought you all might like that. So I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart. And that is an emotional honesty. You understand that people can tell the truth dishonestly. We can get dishonest truth. We've been getting that from our media for the last several years. Dishonest truth. Manipulated, edited, altered truth. We've been getting it from our public officials. But you cannot have or be comfortable with dishonest truth from a prophet. And a lot of prophets do not know that their soul is not upright in them. So you see a man walking in the false spirit is because his soul is not upright in him. What is he saying? That slant left room for another spirit. So I want to talk to you about this. I'm going to, let's go back. That's next week's class. Okay. So I want you to understand about this. Now, if you look at this, now there's a couple of things that I always find, because you know, I always have this way of making things make sense to me and people. So honesty, 
Well, then you look after between after the H between the H and the S. There's the word what? One. 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 It. One. Cohesiveness. Honesty means all of the fractures and fragments have been brought together, tried, proven, and tested, so that your emotions send the right truth to your brain. See, your emotions can send a lie to the brain, but the brain has been programmed to configure it to what you know your hearer or your audience or your public expects. <coughs> Meanwhile, in your emotional center, you're angry, you're seething, you're happy, you're unhappy, but your, your true state of mind is dishonest. You know, when Jeremiah was approached after Israel lost their land, they sent to Jeremiah and they pretended, oh, no, I mean, no, and people would do this. Well, now your word came to pass and we have been exiled from our land, deported from our land. So tell me, how long is this going to be? I mean, I mean, what is, what is the most high's plan? And they did that to him, things like that to him more than once. And he said, but you know, you came to me with, with the evil intent. You didn't, you didn't really want the truth. You didn't even come to me in truth. See, people, it's important. Because people don't always come to you in truth. They come with their ulteriors and they come with their ultimatums. Only you don't know that. So when we look at this, now, if you look at the word honesty, there's something else about it. We have a word in the English language called home. H-O-N-E. Does anybody here know what that word means? Refine. What else? Sharpen. Perfect. Clean. Work out. In other words, to make it keen enough to be what? Functionable, functional, and actionable. See, God is about action. He said, do not be a deceived hearer. Be a doer of the work. So the scripture that I want to start with here is John 2.25, and it said that Jesus needed not anybody. I love this about the king. And he said, I didn't need anyone should testify of man. He didn't say amen. He said man, because that really should have been human or humanity. So in your own notes, you can put, I don't need anybody to tell me about humanity for he knew what was in humanity or humans. Yeah. He knew. How did he know? First of all, I made man, according to Ecclesiastes, I made it man upright and he what? Invented many schemes. Proverbs 23, 7 is pretty much a great statement on emotional honesty. We only start stop at the heart, at, at heat. But look at what that really was telling us about emotional honesty. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with you. So you may get the head, but you don't get the heart. And it's the heart that makes you conform. It's the heart that makes you agree. It's the heart that makes you surrender. Because you emotionally, and, and the word emotionally is really the motion of your, believe it or not, of your energy. It's the energy 
that moves you to act, believe, or become. So what's moving in the heart may not be firing in the brain. So let's look at what it is. I think some of these things are very important. So if we all know the word integrity. You know, we kind of know. Integrity means one cohesive, indivisible whole. The integrity of something means that it can't be penetrated by flaws, faults, etc. So when you think atom or atomic, you think an integrous. Morality, we've talked about forthrightness. That passage that I just read, read Proverbs 12, 7. Y'all remember it? 23, I'm sorry, 23. I'm looking at the wrong one. Proverbs 23, 7. That passage explains forthrightness. So there, you're not forthright. You're saying what will save you. For example, if you're going to have a conversation or share your mind with someone that you feel has power over your existence, over your future, you're going to say what's expected and you're going to act on what you feel. You're going to act out what you feel. So you'll say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, I'm there for you. And yet you're never there. You're late. You're absent. You always have an excuse. You always have a reason. That is not a head issue. That's an emotional dishonesty issue. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So your mouth is both pathway, is pathway, pathogen, and pathology. As a matter of fact, the word for su- for the suffering in your soul is pathos. So the path from the heart suffering or anger or discontentment or joy or happiness, that pathway is what goes through your mind, formats itself. Your brain is the formatted. It formats anything your mind says. And it formats what what your mouth is to speak, which means the pictures, the the conjurations, the configurations and all of that, that the brain does, it gets from those simple statements. So when people say, oh, no, I didn't mean that. Yeah, you did. You just didn't mean it to be heard. It just slipped past. That is why the whole idea of talk therapy is so prevalent today. The, the concept or the belief is that you you get people talking enough, they're going to say everything and they'll spill their whole heart. They'll tell you their whole heart. So when you think about emotional honesty, you can have your brain can honestly configure and put together, conjure, vivify, if you will, or visualize what the mind sends it. But it's smart enough not to give it sound if they if it feels it's going to cost them. So it's not going to be frank. I mean, we're in a world today where frankness is almost going to get you an award. Like people, people are so unaccustomed to honesty. That when they hear it, you can tell we're built on honesty because when they hear it, they know it. 
Even the pop folks who don't believe in Jesus don't have Holy Ghost, none of that. They'll say, you know what? But something about that rings true. Honesty has a ring. And it's the ring of truth. What truth? The truth that the maker used to create you. It rings truth to your archetypical self. Your eternal self. Your day six creation. So we have that. And then trustworthiness. When in other, you will say you can trust me, but we can't trust you. When people say call me for anything, and then as soon as you call them, they can't do anything. Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. I can do it tomorrow. Yes. When you don't need it. Yes. Or when the, and and is people are largely dis, emotionally dishonest with God. Oh no, I love you, Lord. Ask me to do anything. Call me off. Call me for everything. God call you. We give you something. Y'all like, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not who I am. That was then what you said was emotionally dishonest. So when you turn up, and we're going to have fun, because actually honesty is a cohesive oneness of all, every element of your psycho-emotional and sentimental faculties. The reservoir is clean. The source is clean. The pump has been purged. The debris has been removed. The sediments are no longer being mixed with the new and fresh inflows. So usually you're outspoken, truth and truthfulness, truth, candor and openness, righteousness and uprightness. Now that's just to give you a sense of what honesty is so you have to ask yourself when you're walking around and you say i got it and you're still mad or you're still fussing about the it that you said you got that you don't really have so that was emotionally dishonest speak on that now emotionally dishonest people will ultimately betray you because the will wins out and the desires task the will your desires task your will. Was that helpful? Yes. So your desire, so you, and, and the problem is you don't know because many of your desires go back way in time or they're so deeply submerged and then guarded by self-defense, preservation, and also concealed for the sake of the concealed until the opportune day so that day or that season for you to cut up and act out you already preordained that but the will has to work according to the sequence you've given it so i've got to get this done i got to get this out of the way so it's cleared the deck for the ultimate desire that's going to make you an enemy to somebody You know, you like that bell today, don't you? Well, it's bell worthy. It's bell worthy. I know you're right. Bell worthy So you understand. And so, and then when the incident, when it blows up in your face, you're stunned and you're stunned not because it blew up only, but you're stunned because it made so much sense to you that you never thought how it would be. Jesus called it count the cost. Yeah. And you never felt it would suffer loss. It would cost you. And we and we all have to do that. I mean, fortunately, God gives us forgiveness and all of those kinds of things. But understand, you blow up because something you wanted was put at risk by something that was mandated or imposed on you. Yeah. 
So you bank that sentiment, you bank that anger, rage, disappointment, you banked it, but you never neutralized it. So it stayed on your will's task list. Consider the will, the mechan the machinery of your uh, clipboard. So the will is like, and so let's say you've attempted it and it didn't work. You keep it. The will just reprioritizes. You attempted it and it didn't work. It keeps reprioritizing. But the problem is that because you have handled it so irresponsibly, frustration is growing around it. Frustration means that strata uh, or stratum of futility is starting to dominate and become the motivation. So it keeps shortening your patience. It keeps shortening your recovery. It keeps incensing you and it keeps making, uh, you know, exciting or inciting your ire because you've not processed what you said. Now, why does it, does it do it with everything you desire? It does, but in a pecking order. So there are things that we can, like, even in our natural lives, we're like, well, I can do without that. And I can do without this. Well, I can pass on that. But then when something that's anchored to that, 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 that fundamental, that core hope, desire, that, that, that oneness that identifies you, that, and I call it the suffering satiating desire. Because it's either about satiation or it's about suffering when we when desires are attached to that you become almost maniacal you don't know it and as long as they're concealed and and you're you're, and usually they stay concealed until you think they should happen so if you said that at 30 i'm going to be married that desire actually was the regulator, the molder, the morpher, the mech- machinery of everything that that led up to it. Hmm. I should be rich by 40. Okay. I, okay? Those and you have to put it through your filters. Those are your suffering or I call them sore spots or safe spots. So you have the sore and the safe. So you've got the suffering and your sore. And when that sore starts getting mm, Mm-mm. it begins to change the order and hierarchy of your existence. That's when you fall in with the wrong people. You push situations that really aren't ready. You are either, go- things are premature or aborted. You have these kind of psycho emotional uh, abortionists that decide that, hey, if I can't have it this way, I don't want it at all. Meanwhile, the, the, the consequences and the aftermath that go away. And a lot of this, you acquired it until you became an adult. Wow. You acquired it, meaning it was inherent. It came to you. It, it bred under the, world, the household environment you had. So if you heard your parents cry about money all the time, guess what a priority is going to be? If you heard your parents fuss about never having a vacation or never having playtime or play dough, that, 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 that's a reckless thing that's going to breed. And so that that goes right in because there are things that are on the table of your environment desires. But then there are things that are actually the table and the table of the heart is where we have problems. 
That means the construction, that means the makeup, that means composition, that means material, quality, conditions. We can go on. Now think about that and now, and, and you're the prophet. You're the prophet. And so if we can't catch you in, 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 in terms of profit, in order, if you're going to be emotionally dishonest or emotionally honest, meaning you can recognize that you are emotionally honest profit. Let me just back up. I want to back it up and say it this way. An emotionally honest profit can separate that part that is not them because they are God's project or God's instrument from the table of their heart, its texture, and its content. So it won't be hard for you to tell somebody God's going to make you a millionaire in three years. Now that's honesty. Is that right? Dishonesty is like he said to me. You co-sign on people's word. You insert yourself into prophecies that you want to happen to you. That's emotional dishonesty. Did that speak to you? Now, if you don't insert yourself, then you exert yourself. You exert your authority. You exert your your um, your experience and, and you impose your parameters or you impose your rules on them. Again, God's going to make you a billionaire in three years. Because wow. he said he delights in you dishonesty like he does with all of his people because he doesn't play favorites so that that's what happens or you'll say you know what you can you can use me and count on me as a prophet you can use me and count on me and then you find yourself struggling with prophecy envy or prophecy rivalry See, prophecy envy means that we have to all prophesy the same thing, do the same thing, be the same person, on and on and on and on. You understand what that's like. So you can have that. So these are issues that are of the heart that will cause you to be dishonest. Because honesty now comes down to making you the one. So you have to always check yourself. When you find yourself always having to tell people that God gave you what he gave somebody else, you have an emotional honesty issue. Because you feel like if you don't insert or co-sign on what someone else is doing, it makes you insignificant and inferior. Mm -hmm. So your significance, your sense of significance or lack thereof will cause you to fall into an emotional dishonesty that you disguise in so many different ways. God didn't tell you that. And he certainly didn't tell it to you like that. Well, because he did. If he did, you'd be doing that. So you and so you but, but your idea is that you that's the worst thing for uh, emotional honesty or dishonesty is me to itis and why not me? Me to itis and why not me? Because everything that you desire and aspire to, you feel should be you. Even if you are not ready for it, even if you don't have the criteria, the background, the faculties, you name something. 
So you, it, the, that means that, that when Paul says that our confidence has to be in him, your confidence is in your own ego. You don't mean it, but but life has made you feel like if I don't assert myself, and I mean, because in that in that the world, if I don't assert myself, who will? If I don't do this, who will? So there's no room for God's righteousness in such a, a psycho emotional construct yeah. climate. So your soul's ecosystem is way is littered and cluttered or impeded by all of that. So you're always seething. You know, if you, I can tell you, if you say, how do I know it's me? Because you're always seething. You're always mad. You always got these, these sarcastic quips. You can't ever bless somebody. You can't ever say, that, in other words, you can't even say, you know, that was a good message. Yeah, God spoke that to me. I have that in my diary. You don't have to, you don't have to own on all of that. You don't have to link up with that. They can just have done a good thing and you can walk away edified. People like that never are never edified. I promise you, they're never edified by what you say because they've already had it and God edified them before he gave it to you. That's that's novice prophets. That's novice ministers, newcomers, because they don't have any. Their ground hasn't been established. They have no anchors in the ground. There's no no posts there for them. So the the only thing they can do is take every snippet. And if even though it might might be on the topic you spoke, they won't call it the the snippet. They're going to tell you they had the entire text. The fullness. Fullness. They had it. They did it. And God will do that. If God wants you to get something out of a lesson or out of an experience or a discussion, he will drop nuggets of you. And I was saying to a, a prophet Norma this morning, I said, but God will give you the title and you think he gave you the text. And he gave you the title to say, listen up. That's a divine handout. Listen up. I got something in here for you. Look for me to speak to you through this. Right. Right. Not, yeah, go let them know that I gave it to you so it's no big deal that they got it. You always diminish people's milestones and people's attainments and achievements. You know, I think about that. I look at my prophets. Every one of my prophets are different. And when they start cutting up, God is like, but they're prophets. You give them free reign. If they have a problem about something, if they have their ego is crushed, tell them to go do something for me. What did he say to Cain? You do right, you'll get blessed. Cain couldn't do right. We got paganism. You don't understand. The sin is always there to make you lose your destiny. Why? Because because we are made of the darkness and the light. You don't have to go and look for darkness. It's in you. That's why you don't have all knowledge. That's why you don't have all the answers. Because you got some light for somebody else's darkness. And somebody has your light for your darkness. Prophecy clinic. The doctor is in. Yes. See, I need you to understand that because a lot of the stuff that you're struggling with, you're all upset with. God, I don't understand why God won't use you. I'm telling you, God uses everything that's useful. He doesn't. <laughs> because we, God, 
I mean, the man does not have enough people. He said, the, what, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So why in the world would he get such a high delight and not using hyper useful, hyper correct or, or develop you? No, he doesn't use you because he can't use you. He can't use you because you keep altering him into you. You want God to morph into you so you can feel good about saying God did this. God will use anything that makes him say he used donkeys, bird. He done told you I, I got everything, you know. I mean, you think about God uses the animals to save humans lives. So don't tell me he won't use what he needs. It's important that you get this. The, the next time you say, I don't understand, I'm waiting for the Lord to use you. And God tells you today, I prophesy and I speak to you by decree. God said, but I'm waiting for you to become useful. He said, because I have to go through too much of you, wait too much of you before I can get what I want. See, it's the you that's disqualifying your usefulness. Because remember, God has a public. He's, not, he's working hard not to lose anymore. He's bleeding out saints. He's fighting with secularists. He's wrestling with paganists. He's got all this going on. And then he's got you and your little ego all in the way. I know the Lord told me to do so and so, but. But I know he gave me this instruction, but we know it because you enroll in our schools and try to change our curriculum. You know, you know nothing. You got no criteria. You know nothing. And yet you want us to think you're something because you are criticizing with your nothing. When you are useful with God, trust me, God talks to you. I listen to God and they'll tell you, I listen to your words and I listen to what God says about you. And you are always, you who are always fussing about this or not being used. God said, but you need to make yourself available. He said, I got to be on your sick time, your work time, your husband time, your lovey time, your mom time, your shop time, your school time, kids time. And let's not talk about grandchildren. <laughs> I said, but you know, the sad part is that your destiny is going to fail because of your grandkids. Because God's not going to use you because you're, you're busy. You're tied up. So you have all God's got to wade through too many of your own priorities and necessities to use you. So by the time you do that, the moment's gone and the loss has been felt. Can I say it like that? So God will use you if you're useful and you don't want to admit that you're useless to God right now because that hurts. I was, I want to say, what was it? 15 years almost. I was useless to God. I fuss with God all the time. I was like, God, but I love you. I, yeah, that's great. When I talk about love, <laughs> you know, cause the Holy Ghost is going to slice you. Yes. But God, I'll do anything for you. Yeah. But I asked you to do three things. You told me no, I had to replace you, but God, I mean, no, I just didn't know better. You knew better. You just didn't like what I asked you to do. If it was unpleasant, unappealing, you told me no. See, here's what I do, and I will end this discussion on that. Y'all all right? Yes. No. This is on the road. No. <laughs> we are not okay. So you have to understand, you already have your priorities set. 
You have your limits and boundaries fixed. You're just upset that God knows it. So you tell yourself nobody knows it. And you tell yourself God knows your heart. So he understands why in heart you're not going to be there for him. But he's a forgiving God. And he's got a lot more people and he can suck it up. Y'all old folks are going to pay a dear price for telling God that the young people can do it and you old and tired. Y'all going to pay a dear price for that. Not when a man 120 years climbs up to the mountain and go die. No, no. And let me tell you, you're upset about aging. You're aging because you are sedentary. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you keep moving, God is going to keep you young, strong, and healthy as long as he's getting something out of you. That's true. I'm telling, I, I'm telling you myself. I'm not talking about, I'm not just giving you a piece of Moses scripture. Abraham's blessings. I'm telling you that if we are, okay, if we are God's instrument and utility, he's going to keep us going. What will take everybody out won't take you out. What will take everybody else down won't. Why? Because he's getting fruit off of you. God's a fruit man. He's a harvest guy. Now, the problem with us is that we don't, God is so sweet, or maybe he just like, it's not worth the effort. He won't articulate it. He raised me up to articulate. But God speaks very bluntly with me. Like if I tell God I'm not feeling well because I don't want to do something, he said, that's not true. How do you tell me? Well, you are Jesus. (laughs) But he won't tell you that because you've told him so much. He's accepted that he can't use you except sporadically and for very limited periods of time. Every Sunday, I look around and see who runs out the door first because I know that's useless to me. So I know how God thinks. You want to edit that out? No, no. <laughs> no, we're definitely keeping that. We're definitely keeping that. We are definitely keeping that. So, there, I mean, you're in leadership and you have no thought as to what I want to do with my sheep. Or what the sheep might need of my team, our leadership. You don't even care. You know why? I got to get home to my family. And yet your family doesn't even serve the Lord. You want to do that to God. You think God doesn't have feelings? He just doesn't nag you. Because in God's world, remember, Jesus couldn't be on that cross saying stuff. Okay? Because his words are power. So God won't say it to you directly. Half of you all can't even deal with God's direct thoughts. You know, all around, you're going to go out and buy a coffin. I got to die. I'm leaving. I'm, oh, Lord, am I going to hell? I don't know because God didn't, God was displeased or he disapproved of something. You think because you tell God that? God never said family first. Never. I mean, you can write it. Hashtag. God never said family first. Ever. He took over too many families for him to even believe that. You said family first because family's a good out- outlet, aren't they? They're yeah. good skate- scapegoat. You don't ask God what, to, what he needs you to do. You get up in the morning and say, God, I thank you for bringing me to church. I thank you for making me a leader or a minister or an intercessor or something like that. What do you want me to do today? How do you want to use me today as your instrument, as your vessel? And sometimes he wants you to be a vessel. Other times he wants you to be an instrument. At other times still, he needs you to be an implement. But you don't ask him. And so then when it gets down, the same 
the same family you idolized and made an icon, you want him to fix. And we're and the reason I'm going hard like this is that we're heading into hard times. And you're going to want God to do all of these things for you. And you're going to want his intervention when you should have been building up his prevention. And you're going to cry about your little boobies and all of those kinds of things. Look at all of this. We, we made family first. And what do we have? Kids being killing themselves. Kids on drugs. Kids being sex trafficked. And you know why? Because there is a little clause in the covenant. Does anybody know that? In yeah. Deuteronomy, the laws, 28 and 29, there's a clause in there that said, when you turn on me, I will bereave you of your children. But that's not God. Well, I don't know who is doing it because if that's not God, you serving the wrong one. I'm going to tell you right now, and if God can't back Satan down, we are all in trouble. With the false, we above all most pitiable. So I'm going to wrap this up on this. You see this little thing here? How, how you do it? Emotional dishonesty starts bias. That means it's already slanted. It's always concealing its true feelings. And it's few, it's true emotions, emotings. All right. It disguises its emotional contradiction to what it said. And it comes at you pre-solved. It already wants, it already knows what's going to satisfy the situation. So we can have nine years of counseling, 25 years of, 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 of advising. We can lay hands, we can pray, we can intercede. But that pre-solved, that is the start point. Because you've already, you, even though we'll call you in for counseling, you'll say all the right things. But emotionally, you've already resolved that if I don't come this way, this way, this way, and that way, you can't hear. And you won't receive. But you'll say the right words. I'll give it some thought. I'll take it to prayer. Well, thank you so much for letting me know. Well, that's interesting. Or my personal favorite. But well, that's how you see it. And I don't agree with it. Now, you can't tell me what your criteria is because it's going to expose you. But I can tell you mine. Emotional dishonesty. You're prejudiced. Every, you prejudge everything. You enter every situation with emotional. You've already held emotional court. Courts already been held. You've already rendered a verdict on the situation that you say we're going to talk about. Hey, great time. Yes? Yes, yes absolutely. Give God a praise because he's worthy. <laughs> and that's that's if you can. Right. Right. Listen, share, 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 share. And I hear me. I want you to do it. When you share, I want you to do it. You're, if you're taking notes or writing down, I want you to say this. God doesn't only get asked, asked easy questions, convenient questions, or amenable questions. God has people who need to know why he's not using them, who need to know why he shut off their ministry, who are asking him, God, what happened? We used to be so close. We used to be so tight. He has that, doesn't he? Yes, he does. But we don't answer you. We don't answer those people. We answer the amenable folk, the, the amenable sugar candy blessings. The Lord loves you. The Lord never leave you. The Lord wants you to have the bed. God is just so giddy about you. He just, I just been praying this morning. He was tickle, tickle, tickle. That's not all God does. 
So these answers are not for the people who assume God is happy with their whole existence 24-7. These answers are for the people who want to get it right and they can't do it until they have an awareness of what's wrong. Ha, share, 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 share. And then so, this should be on the screen. If you're in the area of Tulsa, Oklahoma, come to the embassy home of the Congregation of the Mighty, where God says, start at 8 and 10, get your own Sunday school. It's marvelous. See you there. Mark your calendars for June 15th through the 18th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary, hosts her annual Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. This year's theme is the station of the prophet in God's future, unlocking the future of the Almighty with the key of prophecy. Keynote speakers include Prophet Elizabeth Tyam Pook, Prophet C.T. Johnson, Assistant Chief Prophet Angela Powers, and Chief Prophet Tala Price. and Chief Apostle Paula Price. If you are an ordained prophet, register for Dr. Price's Private Prophets Luncheon. Register your teenagers for our youth conference. Our youth theme is Identity the Key to Destiny, Redeeming This Generation. Visit www.drpaulaaprice.com to register individuals, teens and groups today. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.